Um, I, I just I can't get over how great God is in ministering by the power of the Holy Spirit through our preaching team. Last Sunday morning, I called or texted Alex at about 5.30 and said, you up, and, and I, of course, I'm sure he probably wasn't, but he responded pretty quickly to my text, said, I need you to preach, and so without any week-long preparation, uh, he pulled together a really amazing message. I listened to it this week on Jesus Messiah. And the, the beauty of that thing is, is that this is how wonderful the Holy Spirit is. He had no knowledge of the fact that I was going to utilize that very powerful prophetic psalm, Psalm chapter 2, in my message on Jesus' name above all names. And he used that very same text as his text. And that's just how the Holy Spirit works, folks. He didn't, he, he, we didn't talk. He didn't see my notes. Uh, and then he did an absolutely amazing job. Spirit of God just kind of, he plugged in and grabbed it. And it's almost like I wasn't even missing, okay? And so I just want to say thank you, Holy Spirit, for this amazing team that you've given to us. Give all of them a, a round of applause, if you would, please. I, I just want to take about 10 minutes this morning and give you a little devotional thought uh, because I'm so excited about this series that we have put together over the last 12 weeks on all of these names of God. And as uh, Pastor Alex did a great job last Sunday really showing you that every one of these sort of folds into and culminates into the name that is above every name, and that is the name of Jesus. Everybody just say that name right now. Say Jesus. Say Jesus is Lord over my life, over my home, over this church over this city, over our nation. Jesus is Lord over the whole earth. How many of you believe what you just said this morning? Let's give the Lord praise one more time. Hopefully you know our text by now. We've been quoting over and over and over, and we're not going to put it up on the screen. Let's just see how many can go with me. Proverbs 18.10, let's go. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Good. The righteous man runs into it, and is safe. That's beautiful. That's right. So that's in your toolbox now. That's in your arsenal as a principle, as a reminder that the name of the Lord, not that you have to know all of these Hebrew derivatives of every one of these names. The whole point is, is that Jesus, the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, he is all of those things. And I'm going to do a quick review this morning. The prophet Isaiah grabbed a hold of this in declaring into the future, 700 years before the birth of Christ, the one that was to come, uh, Yeshua HaMashiach. You almost have to clear your throat when you say that, if you get the, the Hebrew. Um, he says, and a virgin shall conceive, and she shall bring forth a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. Does anybody know what Emmanuel means? God with us. Everybody say God with us. Okay, two chapters later in Isaiah 9, verse 6, he says, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and peace, there shall be no end. The writer of Luke grabs that, and he says, of the increase of His kingdom, which is what His government and His peace are. Where His government is, His peace follows. Get the Lordship of God in your life, and the peace of God is right there with it. It correlates to it. Get the government of God, the Lordship of Christ, working in your heart and your life, the government of the Lord. When you know that, the peace of God is just a very, very natural byproduct. It is produced by God's government. 
So as we move on through the Old Testament, as we've been doing through this series, we've seen all of these little snapshots, these little snippets. And every time that I preached, I tried to, not just in an interest of sort of being current and cool with the current generation, but to really try to give you a metaphor or an analogy to be able to see what we're doing with this. And I use the idea of a selfie on Instagram. Instagram is a particular kind of social media. Those of you that might be a little bit older, like Facebook, like Twitter, but it's all picture dominated, okay? It's just sharing life through what's going on. Maybe it's your food at the restaurant at lunch or a picture of your dog or, you know, maybe a selfie or whatever. But I, I was showing you that every time where God reveals himself, and I, I sort of jokingly said he took his cosmic iPhone and stepped back and pulled a human into the frame with him. To Abraham, he said, come on, get in, this, get in this picture with me, Abraham. I'm going to show you that I'm the Lord, your provider, Jehovah Jireh. To Hagar, he said, I'm going to show you that I'm the Lord, the God who sees you, El-Rohi. To Jerusalem at a time when it was under siege, when a time when it looked like there was absolutely darkness all around, he promises and he says, I'm going to be Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is present in your midst. And that gets fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who is the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God in fullness in every kind of way. So every one of these names, God basically pulls somebody or a people group into the frame with him. And he says, I want you to take this with me because this is a point in time where I have revealed myself to you and no one can wrestle that down from you through vain philosophy or deceit or doubt or unbelief because you've been here in this place, you've got this picture to market, you've got this circumstance where I revealed myself to you in the middle of your crisis, in the middle of your lack, I became your provision, in the middle of your worry and your doubt, I became your peace, your shalom, and on and on and on we could go the way we've done in this series. Every one of these we've given the full attention of one Sunday service to. I want to remind you that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises. Say amen if you believe that. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises. There is a Song of Solomon. You don't hear a lot of sermons preached from that unless it might be a couple's marriage seminar because it has very explicit language in the intimacy between a husband and wife. And it is not just a, a, a marriage seminar, but it literally is a picture of the intimacy between Christ the bridegroom and the church. The church that Jesus Christ bought and paid for by his very own precious blood. And as you open up the Song of Solomon in verse cha chapter 1 verse 3, it says, your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured forth. Now, uh, I don't know if you know this, but your sense of smell is connected to memory greater than anything else about your whole being. Uh, you, can, you can catch the whiff of a scent and it can take you back. I, I, I can smell a certain brand of, of, of root beer and taste that along with the smell. And it transfers me back to Barfield's food store on Avalon and I'm, I'm, I'm seven years old and I'm standing there and I'm holding that root beer in my hand. Any of you know what I'm talking about? 
Okay, you, you, you might remember what your favorite fragrance was in high school. Some of you guys, I'm sure that you would probably just took a bath in that green polo bottle. <laughs> Getting ready for the date with that, that pretty young thing that you were wanting to go out with. And probably over the course of the next four years, she said, I got to get you something else for you to wear. <laughs> but you can smell that. They still sell that original polo fragrance. You can smell that and it's like it takes you back to that first date. Or it makes you remember. I, 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 can, I can smell things cooking around holidays in the house and I can tear up. I, I, I don't, I'm not trying to right now. But I can remember family times with my mom and my dad and just the, the warmth that I feel from family. And it comes from a smell. And so what the Song of Solomon was saying here is, is that there's something about you. There's a scent that I catch to you that when I'm with you in, in worship and and the intimacy and the prayer and the sharing of our time together. And she says, when I speak your name, it's like anointing oil that's been poured forth. And, and when you look at that, when you, when, you, when you go back to the original word, it literally is the idea of being beaten, being compounded. It's the, it's the apothecary, the pharmacist of the Old Testament that, that has a special recipe for the anointing oil and it has a certain scent or a fragrance to it. And so it's literally saying that the name of Jesus brings back these memories. It's almost like it has a scent to it. The name of Jesus has been compounded. It's been beaten. And that's what happened to Jesus in His life. He was bruised and beaten for us so that everything that was shalom would be part of the name of Jesus in peace. It was beaten into Him so that the, the, the peace that's been stolen and robbed from us, that we would experience that when we know Jesus and when we say Jesus, His name literally is a fragrant oil being poured forth. It's no coincidence that all of these great names are referred to as compound redemptive names. Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Shammah. Jehovah Jireh is the Lord our provider. Jehovah Shammah is the Lord who is present. Jehovah Rohi is the Lord my shepherd. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord my peace. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord my banner. Every one of them are called compound redemptive names. The reason they're called redemptive is because they're all tied to that name Jehovah or Yahweh. That was the name God gave Moses to show him that he was going to redeem the people that he had chosen before the foundation of the world. How many of you know Jesus is our Jehovah? Jesus is our Redeemer. Everybody say, Jesus is my Redeemer. If you've been redeemed, you've been bought by the blood. You've been purchased. You've been, it's been paid for. He gave His life for you. His precious blood was poured out for you. Something was in exchange for you. Somebody say amen. Now, just real quick, got a couple things here and I'm finished. I want you to know that, that God gave Jesus a name that had authority over everything else in the world. Everybody say Jesus. That name is not just a common name among little Mexican boys, Jesus. But there's something about it when a Latino or a German or a, Ch or a Chinese person, any of the tribes and tongues and nations around the world knows the person, however you say it in their language. There's not a magical way to say it. The name of Jesus is not a talisman. It's not a rabbit's foot. It's not a totem. It's not something lucky. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a lucky number on your... Um, your, your, your little cookie, your fortune cookie at the end of your Chinese meal. It's, 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 a, it's the word that comes when you have a personal relationship with the person that we're talking about. Jesus, the name 
that is above every name. The disciples knew the power that was in the name of Jesus. Immediately in the book of Acts, they move out into Jerusalem and they are preaching and proclaiming in that name. People are getting healed because of the power that is in the name of Jesus. So this morning, as I call our preaching team forward, we're going to get ready here in just a moment. Go ahead and come on, guys. As we get ready to take some questions, we want to encourage you. We have some that have already been shared with us that have been given to us. But this is an opportunity for you today. If, if there's something that's sort of still hanging in terms of, you know what, I, I really want to understand what all these names are about, uh, how, how does the name of Jesus relate to me as a believer in my life, how am I supposed to walk in the power of that and utilize that, there are probably a number of different questions that are in the room. We want to keep these questions rel related to this series and what we've been saying about the name of Jesus and any one of these names, okay? Now, if you'll notice on the screens, if you tweet, if you're on Twitter, you can tweet your question to at Victory Wired. By the way, I just want to say to you right now, if, if you are not on Twitter, uh, we'd love to invite you to be a part of that and, and go ahead and sign on and follow uh, Victory Wired. Okay, If you are not equipped to do that this morning, take out your phone, smartphone, whatever. And there is a number on the screen. I'm not going to say it out loud because I really don't want this to go on the Internet. This person to be getting calls from Germany or wherever because we have people who listen to these podcasts around the world. Uh, so there's a number on the screen. You may text your question to that number. Okay. Now Josh is going to moderate the discussion for us. Uh, from the media booth back there, we got some questions that have already been given to us that'll sort of get the ball rolling. You can be thinking about some. Please, I'm just going to ask you right now, if you would, keep them relative to this series, okay? I don't want any questions about who is the Antichrist or, um, you know, when's the rapture going to be or anything like that, okay? Uh, let's keep it on, let's keep it on uh, the, the name of Jesus or on this series or the things that are related to it, okay? All right, welcome our preaching team to the platform, if you would, please. Amen. I'm going to give it to Josh. Good morning, everyone. All right, let's get right into it. We've learned that the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it and is safe. That's from Proverbs 18.10. You talked about that earlier. What does that mean, and how do I do that? Okay, I'll take that one. Uh, I think the real simple description of that verse is that you don't uh, look, you don't miss the forest for the trees. But it's relating the name of the Lord to being a strong tower. A tower is something that is usually um, the highest point in a fortress. And so the name of Jesus is protection for you. It is covering your life. It is on your lips, it is in your heart, it's covering you, beneath you, the everlasting arms are underneath you, the glory of the Lord of Israel is behind you. Uh, it's, it's what comes from having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And the way that you do that is just by, first of all, having him in your heart, understanding what the gospel means, that you can't earn it or deserve it, and you begin with saying, hey, I, I can't do this, apart from you I'm nothing. But I ask you to come into my heart, change my life, and then Jesus becomes a person, a personal relationship with you. And then the name of Jesus becomes something very powerful to you then that you use in prayer. Okay? When we pray in Jesus' name, we are literally praying 
using the power of attorney that God has given to us. We pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. And really what that's saying is, when I go to the Father with a request, I'm standing before Him with Jesus as my representative. Now, do you think Jesus can get a prayer through? So when I pray in Jesus' name, then that's the very same thing as if Jesus were standing before the Father and interceding for you, praying for you. That's the power that's in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Pastor Michael. We've already got questions rolling in on text, so make sure you take down the number and uh, text in your questions. We're going to have some fun today. All right. The name El Roy means the God who sees me. This name of God brought comfort to Hagar. How does this apply when we are living in sin, and does God still see us? Will he still take care of us and provide for us? Uh, that comes from, from a message that I had the opportunity to speak on, so I'm, I'm going to answer that one. Um, the, the incident that you're speaking of is when Hagar flees um, from Abraham and Sarah. And if you remember, the question was, does that still apply? The God who sees me, does that still apply when we are living in sin? Well, if you remember, Hagar herself, when she fled, she was in sin. She was in, she was in disobedience and rebellion, and yet he was still the God who saw her. And yes, that brought comfort to her, and I think we should remember also um, that he still sees us. The scripture tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not after we had it all together, not once we got our acts straight and, and we had laid down those things. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so sin does not cover us. It does not hide us from him. It separates us, but Christ made the way. He yes. paid the price for reconciliation Good. even in the midst of sin. And so your sin does not cover you from Christ, does not cover you from God. You're still seen. Um, what sin can have a tendency to do is it can have a tendency to cloud our vision. To have a, It can have a tendency to distort how we see God. I had a friend who struggled, I'm just going to say it, he struggled with pornography addiction for years, and he developed this bitterness and this anger toward God. God, you gave me these, these desires. You know, why is it wrong? Why is it wrong? Not recognizing that he was abusing the desires that God had given him. And so sin had, had the ability to distort his view and taint his relationship. Do you understand? But he was never separated. He was never separated. He was still seen. He wasn't abandoned. Amen? Good word. Amen. Yeah, thank you, Pastor Haley. All right. The name Jehovah Sidkenu means the Lord our righteousness. How can we have Jesus' righteousness yet still continue to sin? Okay, I think I'll take that one. Good pronunciation, by the way, Josh. I could never get that word quite right. Uh, so I'm going to have a hard time sitting here and speaking, so I'm going to try. Uh, Sid Canoe, I, I think the righteousness of Christ, which is imputed to us by faith, is a free gift of God's grace. And so that anyone that would believe and trust in Jesus Christ and the finished work that he's done for us would have a new standing with God. So uh, the status of a sinner uh, would now become a saint by faith. And so that person now has the righteousness of Christ, which Haley was just talking about. The righteousness of Christ is now imputed as a free gift. Now, going on from there, as we all know, you continue to struggle with certain proclivities in your life. There's no sin that's temptation not uncommon to man the word tells us and we'll, we'll all go uh, through difficulties with one or more 
uh, passions of the flesh that will give us trouble as we live our days out on this earth. And um, so we carry that around. That's The Bible calls that the dead man. But we're no longer dead now. We're alive in Christ. We're a new creation. So God sees us now through the righteousness of Christ. So he sees us as clean and completely um, preach. Yeah, completely wow. alleviated from the condemnation that comes from sin, mm. which leads to death. So now we're alive in Christ, mm. all right? And so we carry around this dead man. So I always say when I get up here, um, you know, I'm, I'm a chief sinner. Paul said it himself. I, I sin all the time, right? I mean, it, the sins of commission, you know, um, things that, that I should do that I don't, sins of omission that I don't, and the, and the other way, things I do that I shouldn't. So we continue to do certain things that uh, that... Um, are of the old nature, but at the same time, we have the righteousness of Christ, so we're free in Him, all right? So it's, uh, it's something that we continue to grow in, and that's, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God has given us the Holy Spirit so that we can grow in sanctification. He's working in us and through us, and so we're, we're not what we were, but we're not what we're going to be in Christ when he, when he comes back. So the Spirit is continually working in us, and we work it out uh, to His glory. Amen for that. I, that's, that's absolutely amazing. I, I, I would not adjust that. I would just want to add one thing. That is, over time, if you continue to walk with the Lord, the, the sins that you're experiencing shouldn't be the outward outrageous ones. They should be thoughts. Okay? Sin comes in thoughts, words, and deeds. Um, if, if I'm out this week and I'm out sinning outwardly in an outrageous way, I can't stay the pastor of this church. So when we talk about sinning every day, it's really in an attitude issue, okay? It's, it's, um, it's a thought. And you know what? You can learn to take your thoughts captive. You don't have to. Just because a thought crosses your mind, you don't have to bow down to that thing. And you can stop it before it becomes a sin. My point is, is that if you continue to walk with Jesus and you walk in the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit, the more you mature in your walk, that should become less and less and less. And if you've got one thing that's hanging in your life every day, then I would encourage you to see one of us as a pastor or maybe just a good friend of yours that you can sit down and quit keeping it hidden in the closet of your heart, drag it out into the light, and it loses its power. And you can get deliverance from that. You do not have to be hounded. And let me add to that, just Go. to jump back on, is those things that you used to do that, sort of held that position in your heart, like Haley was talking about, the, maybe it's pornography or something, it becomes an idol, so you've, you've perverted the gift of God, which is sex, which he's given to us for enjoyment within the boundaries of his law between a male and a female, right? So you've perverted that, now you've made that an idol in your heart. That's your practical, functional trust in Savior. Should we go to that thing, right? Whatever it is. And so over time, as you trust Christ and walk with the Holy Spirit and obey his law, which Beautiful. is the word of God, then that begins to lose its its effect on you. It loses its grip on you. You no longer want to go back to those. You yeah. don't want to go back to that same old stuff because you know what it is. You know what it's done to you. You know how destructive it is in people's lives and relationships. And you want to walk with the Lord because you want to do what pleases Him because He did it for you. Also recognizing that He has a better, something better for you. Yes. And so your trust grows and you realize, I can lay this down because what, what this provided for me, you know, momentarily, there's something greater in store for me that he, He's providing. So your trust grows as you walk with Him longer. Good word. Did you mean to dress in shark colors? I'm just wondering. <laughs> Did I mean to dress in, in 
Shark colors? Is that is that what I I mean shark colors? Maybe that was a subliminal did thing. You, did you notice Pastor Jimmy? He's trying to intimidate. Da, 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 da. Sorry. <laughs> All right. We have a question here. Uh, my question is regarding the requirement God held of Abraham when God asked him to sacrifice his son Isaac. I'm posing this question from the standpoint of a young believer. While I feel as a young believer you will struggle with this concept. I can also see why even mature believers may want to gain a deeper understanding on this subject. Here's the question. Why would God require a man of God such as Abraham to consider taking the life of his own son? If we are fallen, weak, and broken in sin, why does God feel the need to still test us? Well, good, good question, Josh. I, I, that actually comes from a sermon that I preach. And that is a good question. You know, uh, I think it's difficult when we're looking from the lens of humanity or, or when we're thinking about things uh, from, from our own standpoint. Remember, the Bible tells us that his ways are much higher than our, than our ways. His thoughts are, are way higher than my thoughts. I can tell you that right now. Uh, and that's a good question. Uh, we have to remember when we're talking about testing of God, when, when I was preaching this sermon, what I learned that God tests us, not because he has to, but we need to, we need to know that God is growing us. God is growing us through trials. And, I, and I'll also add to that. Many times when we're being tested, I know we tend to jump on, we can jump on such harsh extremes. Well, I, I got a nail in my tire. God is testing me. God is trying to teach me something. And, and I would just add that we have to know that we're living in a fallen world, okay? And, and by that, what I mean is we, we get just living life. Things happen. Uh, it's just day-to-day -day small things. And we have to remember that God is not always testing us in, in every single thing. But I will add that, you know, when God does test us, it is for our own benefit, God always has something to see, and we may not understand it at that time, but when we come out on the other side of that, it's easy for us to look back and say, wow, uh, thank you, God. And I know it's crazy to think that we may thank God for his testing, but really, his testing is for our benefit, for our growth. And it was the same case with Abraham. Uh, luckily, we probably will never be asked to, <laughs> to be tested in that degree uh, but aren't you thankful that Abraham was obedient? See, there, when we're talking about being tested of God and we're, when we're talking about sacrifices, we're talking about obedience as well. And I, I think the key to learn from that is that Abraham was obedient. Wow. It's also a picture of Christ, uh, man, the son. So it's very powerful. So, yeah, that's, that's what I would say about that. I just want to add that um, when God does that, it's not because he doesn't know the answer already. Uh, it was to show Abraham himself. It was, the question was, does God love, uh, do, I'm sorry, does Abraham love the promise of God more than he loved the God of the promise? And Abraham answered correctly. Just, just one little thing regarding testing, a great question there. Jeremy answered it beautifully. Uh, I, I just want to confess to you that when I got stung between the eyes with a wasp, I'd never, it never crossed my mind to say, God, are you testing me? I mean, wasps are natural creatures. It did cross my mind, though. Did you? <laughs> I'm glad it was you, I'm just Alex. Saying. I'm because glad I was had, gone. That's all I'm saying. It was 5.30, y'all. You had to get up and preach. <laughs> God, what are you doing? I'm, I'm just saying that I he think that we, we can be so negatively, circumstantially focused 
as believers that everything becomes a fight with the devil and we're blaming the devil and the devil's, you know, the devil's against me and the devil's attacking me and I want to go, you know what, the devil's defeated. You need to wake up and realize Jesus is Lord. Absolutely. And there's a, there's a lot of stuff. It's, it's almost like Christians sometimes are just spooky and superstitious and, and they just forget that there are all kinds of natural things that are happening in the world. I opened the trash can there was a wasp nest. Guess what happens? Wasps defend their territory. Bam! Now, I'm telling you, I kind of stepped back for a minute. But the reason I'm saying that is just because something happens that inconveniences you doesn't mean that the devil's attacking you or that God is testing you. Either one. Well, and to, mm, I don't want to step on toes, but I'm going to. I think sometimes too, we attribute testing to just the product of our own bad decisions. In all honesty, Ouch. right? I know, right? I mean, we, we think we're going through a trial when really it was probably just our own bad decisions that caused the circumstances that we're in. So keep those things in mind. It's not always God testing you. It could just be natural circumstances or it could be the product of a bad choice. Well, let me say this too. Um, let's take it back to school. Or let's go to the uh, TV commercial. This is a test. This is only a test. For the next 60 seconds, the emergency broadcast system will be conducting this test in your area. You've heard all that, heard that okay? Uh, look at your neighbor and say, this is a test. This is only a test. Okay, even when you're going through something that you know definitely that it is, guess what? If you're walking with Jesus, it's the very same way that if you've shown up at school, gone to class, and you've done your lessons, the day the test comes, you don't have to fret. Now, if you're a sorry student... You know what, if, if you're not going to do what you need to do just in terms of, of and I, I don't, I don't want to make this a works-based relationship, that's not what I'm talking about, but there are some things that you do just to stay connected to the Lord, just to keep your heart open, your, keep your sin confessed, some time in the Word seeking Him. When you do that, you don't have to worry about the tests that come. You will be prepared for them, and He will lead you through them. Somebody say amen. amen. And I, I would also add, Pastor Mike, you know, many times, you, you know what they say, it's easier to act like a Christian than it is to react like one. Oh, yeah. I think many times when we're being tested, wow, how do we react to that? I think Abraham teaches us something here. It's about that heart. Come on. You know, he fell on his face. Amen. I mean, he felt God. And not only that, but he ran to God. I, that, that's, that's something good. that I think we need to learn because many times when we're being tested as humans, we have the natural tendency to run from God. We run back to our old nature because why? We want to find comfort. And, and we know that we want a temporary release. And I think what we can learn from Abraham is that during that time, maybe God is testing you. You know, maybe, maybe it is deeper than just a nail in the tire, but it, it's how we react during that time of testing. Do we run further and closer to God and, and giving our own lives up. I think as humans, that's our hardest thing to do sometimes. It's in our nature. We, we want to guard ourselves. But I think what we can learn from that, the Bible says, is that we have to die to ourselves. Right. And that is a challenge, right? That is a challenge because we want what we want when we want it. So yeah. I think that when it comes to testing uh, and obedience, that, we, that that is the key right there is being obedient, pursuing God in a much much deeper way instead of running from God. Amen. Great word. All right, guys. I'd like to remind you that we are looking at our Victory Wired Twitter account as well as the number that you see on the screen. Please text us your questions. Uh, we've got some questions remaining. We're going to go for another 10 minutes or so, I believe. So let's get to the next question. What is the significance of all these Jehovah names of God, and what do I do with them? 
Um, well, I really kind of answered that this morning in my little devotional, and that is every one of them is like a selfie. It's like God saying, this is a picture of my character. Um, it's a snapshot of God's nature. Uh, God himself is not just providing peace for you. He is your peace. He is your Jehovah Shalom. God is not just giving you righteousness. He himself, a relationship with him, the righteous one, provides you his righteousness. Uh, and we could go back and reiterate all those again. Really, my point in doing this is not for you to be able to get a gold star and quote 12 Hebrew names of God. Um, although that can be you know, beneficial to know a little bit about it. For example, when Jesus comes along, he turns prayer upside down on its head because for 4,000 years, all of the people of Israel have been praying in the name of somebody else's God. They've been praying in the name of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Oh, God of our fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. And it was like, okay, I've got a relationship with him, but it's really indirect. It's just because I happen to be the great, 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 great grandson of Abraham. But when Jesus says, no, when you pray, say, our father, that was revolutionary. It turned the Pharisees and Judaism upside down on its head. He said, when you pray, come on, if you know it, say it with me. Our Father, which art in heaven, here it is, hallowed be your name. What is his name? All of these revelations, these snapshots, I, I, I think that the Lord's Prayer is not just something you say by rote quickly and do three of them to pay for eating too much at lunch today. But you stop and think about how many ways he's revealed his name. God, you are my shalom. Jesus, holy is your name. You can stop and go through those and pray those areas and it grows faith in your heart. The reason that I would take the time to, 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 to give 12 Sundays and let these amazing preachers share the word is because it gets a piece of the gospel out that maybe some of you might have never understood before. There's all kinds of unbelief all over the Bible Belt. And we have a very reductionist view of the gospel in the South. And it basically is for personal salvation only, and it's a heaven-hell issue. The rest of it, there's nothing to it. You go to church, most churches in the South, they'll preach John 3.16 every Sunday, Sunday after Sunday, some version of for God so loved the world. And as wonderful as that is, that doesn't help you grow in this life. And the gospel is not only for the sweet by and by. The gospel is for quality. Eternal life is not something you're going to get when you die. I have eternal life right now. Eternal life is not a long time. It's quality of life. It's not just quantity. So the gospel speaks to all of these things that are trying to rob my joy and my peace. And when we can each preach some of these things and show you this is how big Jesus is, then you start trusting for, by faith to see God do great things in your life yourself. Y'all want to add to that? Well, I think, I mean, the, the beauty is that your faith grows when you understand more about the character and the nature of God. That if He provided for Abraham, you know, Scripture says He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will provide for you. Beautiful. You know, that if, if, he, was this, if, if he is our righteousness, you know, it stays the same. Nothing has changed. Yes. You know, so there's, there's just beauty in that it makes our faith increase and so when I am faced with a trial where I'm sick and I need a healer I can remember you know that he is the healer that he did it before yes. he'll do it again that's beautiful
Amen. All right. Well, we've got a few more questions, so let's get right into it. Jehovah Nisi means the Lord my banner. This name was given to God by Moses after the Israelites defeated the... <laughs> I'm getting tongue-tied. The Israelites defeated the Amalekites. There we go. What would a modern application for this name be? Is this a revealed character of God relevant today? Um, absolutely it is. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. He goes before me. It, just, it, it means that I'm not alone in the battle that I'm facing. That, that what I'm going through is not just mine and mine alone, but he goes before me to fight my battle for me. And so absolutely there's a modern application for this, that whatever struggles that you're facing, whatever uh, you're going through, um, that, that you're not alone that you're not alone. And so, I mean, what else do you need to know, really? Uh, I think there's comfort. There's, there's definitely comfort in knowing that the God of the universe, right, is fighting on our behalf. Amen? Amen. And that was all wrapped up in the New Testament of Jesus Christ. That is what's so beautiful that Christ did finish and win the battle for us. And we can rest in that as, new, as believers, right? And the Bible says that we are a new creation, right? That we are redeemed, amen? So when I lay my head down uh, at night on the pillow, I, I have that thought, you know what? I am a redeemed child of God. God has already won the victory, amen? And as believers, this gives us power, power to operate in our jobs more, more fully, power to operate in life and our relationships. When, when we have a... Uh, uh, a victorious mindset, not one that's defeated. And, and I would add that as Christians, if we are Christians, then we should be walking with a new power. Amen. We should have a new power that lives on the inside of us, and that is yes. wrapped up in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, Jehovah Makedesh, which is one of the reasons why I'm not up there, and y'all, I'm back here, y'all are up there. <laughs> Jehovah Makedesh is the Lord who sanctifies you. It seems like a contradiction to say that it is God who works in you, yet we are still supposed to do good works. Can you help me understand this a little better? Yeah, so from before the foundations of the earth, the Bible tells us that he chose us in Christ Jesus to be blameless. So before he even created all that we can see and feel and touch and taste and all that kind of stuff, um, he chose us to be in Christ Jesus by his own good grace and will. And so we know that... Um, Everything that God had planned for us was um, already set into place. And knowing that, that God is a God of grace and a God is a, a God who gives us all life and, and gives us the power to do anything good, it all comes from him, right? So we have to start there. It all comes from him. We know that he has started that work and he will complete that work in us because he has set it in motion. It's him, the creator of the universe. This is his kingdom. He's put that in us. Uh, to be completed. At the same time, as we talked about a little bit earlier, uh, the former desires that we had are no, are no longer ruling over our nature. We have this new nature that everyone's been talking about this morning now drives our desires, it drives our affection, it drives our, um, our hearts to want to please the Lord. So at the same time that he's doing the work in us, we have a new affection to continue to do good works. I think it was Luther that said, you're not saved for good works, but to good works, right? Or something like that. Um, so this is our new affection, is that we want to honor God. We want to be obedient to him. We want to please him, please the one who's done it all for us. And this is the new heart that we have. We've been given a new heart. He's regenerated us from dead to life. A dead man can't do anything good, right? He's got to be 
given life, and then he's able to go out and serve. So it's, it seems a contradiction, but it's really not. It's, it's, it's the mysterious way of God, but it is that we continue to do good works because he's started that work. Anytime uh, uh, I've taken some Christian counseling courses with my master's major, anytime you're dealing with people, they always say, you know, it's a three-way relationship, you, the client, and God. And I would add, you know what, when our relationship, it does involve us, right? Not that we have a part to do in terms of earning our salvation, but let's, let's be honest. We still have to walk this thing out in life, right? We, we are the ones that still get up every morning, right? We have uh, decisions that we have to make. So I, w I would add... It's not our part to save ourselves, but you know what? God gives us the strength and the discernment to walk this thing out, and it is found in that new nature once we become believers in Christ. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship in Christ Jesus, created unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Um, the, the, the actual question came from Philippians 2. Philippians 2.12 says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 13 says, For it is God which works in you, both to will and do of his good pleasure. What is hilarious is that when you look at the body of Christ, the Methodists and the Pentecostals camp on verse 12. Work out your own salvation. And the Baptists and the Presbyterians camp on verse 13. For it is God which works in you, both to will of his good pleasure. Now, I'm not throwing stones at any group. We've got all those in this church, and I'm thankful for that. But the issue is, the Bible has both. Okay, are you hearing where I'm coming from? The issue is, God take, makes the first move. He works into you the desire and to do of his good pleasure. Then you have to work out what God has worked in. Does that make sense? So, when I preach one without the other, I'm not preaching the full gospel. The thing starts with God moving in my own heart. You can't even come to God except He doesn't draw you first. It's an action of God. God makes the first move. He's the chess player that pushes the first pawn across the board. Then you only can respond what, to what He's done. So He works in, you work out. And as, as you've said before, if, if you read Paul's letters, which are basically an exposition of what Christ's life was all about in the gospel and His gospel uh, the, the accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you read Paul's letters, they always start out with the doctrine which says, here's what Christ has done yes. for you, and then he finishes his epistles with a, okay, so now what? How quit, should you then quit live? Quit acting like a fool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you wouldn't continue yeah. on with the knowledge of what Christ has done for you. You wouldn't continue to live the, in the former way of life with the knowledge of what God has freely done for you. Beautiful. Right. You, you're obedient. I mean, it's what it really comes down to, right? In practical application, it's being obedient to his word and to where the spirit is leading you. Let's do one more question, Josh. All right. Last one. Sure. Uh, the Lord our peace, Jehovah Shalom. How do I know that, I'm sorry, excuse me. How do I know if I am feeling the peace of God? And if I have Shalom, shouldn't I worry about my circumstances less and trust God more? Wow, it, it, isn't that... Isn't that humanity right? We, we, we say we have God, but we don't know how to release that. You know what? I would say that uh, everybody's probably at a different point. I think this comes right along with that sanctification process and, and really 
maturing in Christ, amen? We, we, the Bible tells us not to be conformed to this world, but let's be honest, we still live in this world, which means we are going to experience some of the things. Humanity, we're warriors. We worry, right? It, it, sometimes it's hard to let go. And I, I would say that this comes just by being in touch with God, reading, praying, surrounding yourself in community with believers, amen, strengthening yourselves, drawing upon the Holy Spirit. And I would also add, really, it's growing in your faith. Trusting God is not an easy task for many people, right? And I think that derives just from how we are control freaks, right? We want to control our lives, every aspect of it. And it's really the antithesis of when we're talking about uh, trusting God and when we're talking about dying to ourselves. It's not like there's really a manual that tells you step one, this is how you die to self. But really, it is the revelation of Christ through his word, amen, that, that leads us on how to, uh, to move forward in that. I would also add, listen, we're, we're human. We, we are not yet fully sanctified. We're probably going to worry a little bit. So I, I would know that God is with you just by nature of being fully redeemed, amen? You have to rest on that and not worry, well, is God really with me? Do I really have God within me? I would say that if you have already crossed that line of faith, that you don't even have to worry about that part anymore. God is already with you. He has already saved you. He has already redeemed. You already have available what he has for you, amen? Now, if you're still worrying, it's just that human part of you, unfortunately. Uh, but you don't have to question whether you have the shalom of God, amen? I would just continue to pray, seek God the way you were doing, uh, and just continue to, to get and feel God's love, amen. And I might add, too, Jeremy, that, you know, if we're honest, emotionally, we're, we're all over the place, right? I mean, yeah. each day, I mean, like every third day, I'm in this weird mood, and I'm going, okay, I ate right, and I got my exercise, and What's slept good, and I still feel ugh, funky, you know? Um, but God doesn't come and go. He, he, lives, he now lives inside of you. The Holy Spirit's been given. He now lives on the inside yes, of you. So he's not yes, coming and going yes, and yes, coming yes, back when you live on. good and leaving when you do come something on, dumb. He, he's always there. Yes. And so, you know, I don't have to emotionally go, ah, Jesus, all the time. I mean, I, I may not just be going, oh, Jesus, 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 you know, all the time. But I know that I know what was established for me in Christ has been done externally outside of me. So I, I base my faith on something done for me to go back to that. He has started this work in you. He has done it. And if God has done it, then you can't lose it. Romans 8 says, I think, verse 30, right? I mean, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ Jesus, our Lord, nothing. And so he's never broken one promise, right? God has never broken a promise. In Christ, his promises are always true, and you can live with that fact. Amen. I would just say that there is a tangible experience of the peace of God that you can quiet down. You can, you can be jittery. You can be heart racing. You can experience a very real panic attack. And the peace of God can wash over you uh, like, a, like taking a Xanax, okay? Whoa. Uh, or Valium or whatever. We okay? all want some peace Whoosh. of God, right? Okay. Amen. Uh, I'm, I'm, scripture says, in the midst of all of the forsaken field of brokenness, verse 15 of Isaiah 32, until the Spirit is poured out from upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Verse 16. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. Listen now. And the effect of righteousness will be peace, 
and the result of righteousness, quietness, and trust forever. A lot of times we lose a sense of peace because we've been challenged in our standing with God. Righteousness. What does the, the Bible say the kingdom of God is? Uh, Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not what you eat or drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now, where is the Holy Spirit? He's on the inside of you. So if righteousness, peace, and joy is in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's in you, then that means all of that's inside you. You just need to learn how to unlock it, how to let it be. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Sometimes it takes recalibrating, refocusing, you're, you, I can work myself up into a frenzy. I can just, I can, I can start to worry about something, and I can literally pop out and sweat. It's, it came from my mother's side of the family. If Dewey's around here, he knows what I'm talking about. I can sit at the desk in a seven degree, seventy degree room, and I can start to sweat bullets. Now I have to get a hold of that, and the way I do that is to begin to focus on who my source is. Jesus, you are my righteousness. You are with me. You never leave me nor forsake me. You see me. These are messages they've all preached. You are my shalom. You are my peace. And when you start to just meditate on him, all of that just seems to wash over you because he's drawn to, he's attracted to, he loves you, he wants to be with you. And guess what? When he shows up, everything he is shows up tangibly and changes your circumstance. Sometimes he doesn't always speak peace to the storm you're in, but your stormy heart can be at peace when you're in the middle of a storm. Amen. Are you with me? All right. Did you enjoy this this morning? We went a little extra. I love these guys so much. Let me just tell you, uh, I, I am absolutely overwhelmed and do not have words to tell you how grateful I am that God's brought these people to our leadership in this church. We have fun together. We laugh. We cut up. I texted them the day, Saturday a week ago, when I got stung, and immediately Haley's going, prize fighter. Come on, come on. You, it'll give you street cred, I Pastor. I said it gave him street cred. That's what I said. Let's be honest. I was not picking on him, Alex. Yes, you were. You really were. I said no longer is he P-Mike, he's P-Mizzle. P That's his new name. I'm just trying to drag her sin into the light. <laughs> All right, hear this this morning as we close. If there has been anything that has spoken to your circumstance or your heart, or you might be in a place today where maybe personally you've never crossed the line of faith to recognize that, you know what, the gospel is all about a gift. It's not about earning or deserving it. It's recognizing the proper relationship of this name above all names that we've talked about, the name of Jesus. The Bible says it this way. Listen, verse 9 of Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord over all, bestowing the riches on all who call upon him. That was the emphasis of this time this morning, was to say, you know what? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he did for every one of these people and how he revealed his name, he will do that same thing for you again this morning, whatever your need is. The greatest need 
recognized by yourself is to know that apart from Him, you're nothing. Get your heart right with Jesus Christ this morning and you do it by this right here. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the promise of God. Acts 4, salvation is found in no other. There is no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. That is the name of Jesus Christ. If you would bow your heads with me, please, this morning.